0: Today, we're going to look at how when Jesus said everyone who is angry, he was talking about anger from the inside out. You know that's where it starts, right? It's not those stupid drivers, it's not that preacher, it's not that woman you gave me. It's inside. Let's check it out. Let's go to Matthew 5 21. We're going to read 21 through 26, actually, but we're going to do 21 and 22. And so this is in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is right after the Beatitudes. Jesus is talking about things that they would understand, like big laws, right? Like the big one that we hear often, right, is don't murder people. Right, check, got it. Well, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, the ancients were given this commandment, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This week when I looked at that liable to judgment, I didn't look up what other people said because I've known some people that have literally gotten away with murder. And so do you. You read about them. You see it. They're liable to judgment. doesn't mean they're going to be judged, but... They're liable to be judged. And we think, well, they should have been judged differently or better. or they should have been justice. And I get that. Injustice is something that God is angry about. But he says, look, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You've heard this. This was the commandment. Makes sense, right? We call it one of the ten commandments. I'm just trying to get some audience participation. <laughs> All right. I'm throwing up these lollies. But I I can make it a little more challenging if you like. (laughs) But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister, and some of the manuscripts previous say without cause, but anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That's like to their Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's the hell of fire. (laughs) He's saying something to us, and here's one of the first things that we can look at. Anger can lead to serious consequences. It can lead to murder. Some of us are like, gosh, it's not like I murdered anybody. Good, good, low bar, but good. But Jesus is saying, it actually is like you did that. Wow. Is that it? Just tell us, don't be angry. Jesus said, don't be angry. What do we do about it? We got to look at its source. We got to look at its root. And so I wanted to go to something that Jesus taught in a different spot. And it's very much related. Let's go to Mark 7. We're going to go 20 through 23. Mark 7, 20 through 23. Previous to this, Jesus says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him or her. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And he's talking to a bunch of religious people who had been given by God a big list of do's and don'ts, including what to eat and what not to And he's not just talking about the food. As a matter of fact, verse 20, where we're going to pick it up in Mark 7, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come a gross baker's dozen, by the way. So here you go. There's 13 things that Jesus says comes out of the heart of mankind. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality. We'll stop for a second. Sexual immorality is not what we think is immoral or moral. It's what God says is moral or immoral. Sex within marriage. A marriage to a man and a woman. And we hate that. We push out. Love is love. And we get angry and people are super mean about how they go after sexual immorality. But Jesus is just saying, look, that's where sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage, consensual sex in marriage, too. Like, look, anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And we're like, "Mm, nope. Jesus is saying, no, this is where it is. Evil thoughts, that covers just a bunch. (laughs) Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, that means wanting what somebody else has, wickedness. Deceit, sensuality, so just going with what we feel, taste, touch, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Huh, nothing outside a person can defile him, but he's already defiled inside. And so anger can lead to serious consequences. Jesus says if you're mad at somebody, And you hang on to that anger you've murdered them you've written them off more on that in a little bit but he's saying in this different thing apart from just anger although there's a lot of different anger type parallels there he says these 13 nasty things come from inside people you don't just change it from the outside you change it from the inside Again, there's a whole lot that the Bible says about anger. We're looking at what Jesus says about anger, but I could not get away from what his little brother James had to say about anger. If you join me again in the book of James, we're going to go to James 1, excuse me, James 4, 1 through 3. If you missed it last week, I'll remind you, James is one of his biological brothers. He's half-brother. They didn't have the same dad. Jesus' dad is God. And so, James didn't believe in Jesus at first. But something changed when Jesus rose from the dead. His resurrection changed everything. James and his brothers and sisters believed Jesus. Literally, in the beginning of this book, the book of James, he says, my Lord and Savior. Now, I'm the oldest of four boys, never been called that. (laughs) I tried, it just doesn't work. (laughs) But it changed for them. They realized he was more than just their big brother. He's God. So he asks this question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? If I stopped right there and asked you, I bet we'd have a lot of different answers. I want you to think about that for a second. You don't necessarily have to answer it, but what does cause fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers it. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Finally, one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life that wasn't his biological brother, but his brother in faith. John wrote some really cool books. The book of John, and then you got 1 John, Second John, and 3 John, and then he wrote Revelation. In 1 John 3, we looked at this on 316. Like, you might know John 316, but this is 1 John 316. He says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We talked about that on Easter. Like, No greater love than this. Well, the verse right before that, 1 John 3.15, comes yet again at our insides. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has life abiding in him? You guys, anger can lead to serious consequences. It can lead to murder. It can lead to writing people off. It can lead to canceling people. It can lead to physical murder, but it can really lead to, you're dead to me. Somebody in here, and it's not that hard because I could look in the mirror to figure this one out, but somebody in here has written somebody off recently. That's murder. That's writing them off. I'm not going to deal with it. I won't deal with it. You're too much. I've tried. So where does murder and anger start? Where's it at, you guys? Within us, within our hearts, within our minds. You're like, no, my heart's got a lot of cholesterol, but I don't think it's got really murder or anything. It starts inside of us. More on that in a bit. Let's go back to what Jesus had to say about anger, back to that Matthew 5. So, 21 through 22, he's like, look, it starts inside of you. You're liable to judgment. Something pretty fascinating to me. He talks about insults and sayings. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. The reason why we say bad things about people isn't just because they're so bad. It's because of our hearts. I'm not saying pretend. Somebody's got something going on, you ought to talk to them about it. But how you go about it really will show us what's going on inside your heart. What about, hey, man, why are you so frustrated? Hey, lady, why do you have that face? Every time you look like you're resting, you don't look very restful. Bless you. You're welcome. And so he's saying, look, your heart's got to be dealt with. And that's where anger starts. We're going to get a whole lot into what this looks like next week with fear or pride. I can't remember which one we're doing first. Do you remember off the top of your head? Me either. Okay. So fear and pride over the next couple of weeks. But anger starts here. And we'll get back to that. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you or holding a grudge against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Right off the bat, and Patrick talked about this for communion out of Romans 5, reconciliation is important. What does it mean? What does reconciliation mean? We've got some people in here that literally part of their job is to help reconcile people to one another. Some of you, your job is to help reconcile accounts, like make sure that it all works out and it all adds up. Some of you are in the business, though you don't get paid for it, of helping people be reconciled to God. Jesus paid for us to be reconciled to God. What in the world does reconciliation mean? Be at peace with each other. Thanks, Jeffrey. What else? To make amends. To make amends. What's that? balancing the books. Balancing the books. To make whole. To make whole. Do you know that what we have to bring to the table on balancing the books is the need to have the books balanced. <laughs> that's what we bring to the table. Now, in Jesus, we're reconciled. The amends, the the payment has been made. And so he's saying to these people, if you come to church, don't come to church and pretend like everything's great if you know it's not with people. If you know somebody's got something against you or the assumption for us is that this is just about other people, you might have something against somebody. I was meeting with some dear friends, and they said, you know what? There's times where I won't take communion if I'm not right with people. That's super healthy, actually. Don't pretend. Reconciliation is important. Pretend is not what Jesus is calling for. As a matter of fact, he said a lot about this. I'm going to just cherry pick Matthew 9, just a few chapters away here. Matthew 9, verses 12 and 13. Jesus had just called this guy, Matthew, who wrote this book that we're reading. He just called him to follow him. Literally came up to where he was at, at his job. Now, for those who don't know, could somebody who knows what Matthew's job was tell us what he was doing for a living? Yeah, Isaiah. He was a what? Tax collector. He was a tax collector. That seems like, yeah, I mean, we just had tax season, so you're a little, like, eh, right, when you hear that? It was more than, eh. This was a Jew hired and paid by the Romans to take tax money from other Jews. And if he wanted to add a little bit more to line his pockets, he could, and he normally would, and he had Roman soldiers to insure the deal. And Jesus said, come follow me. He left his job and followed Jesus. They have a little party, and more tax collectors show up at this party, and they meet Jesus. And the people who are looking at that go, that's terrible. How in the world can your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? (laughs) And Jesus answers them this way. When he heard them say that, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's a little weird English for you. He's saying doctors get called for sick people, not for people who are well. Go and learn what this means, Jesus says, and he quotes Hosea 6.6 to them. I desire mercy, loving kindness, Compassion, that's what that word means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But I'm a Christian. I tithe, I help with the children, I come in clean, I do all kinds of things. Yeah, I've got problems with people, but that'll have to work itself out. I can't miss church. I can't miss an opportunity to go to a Bible study and quote the Bible and talk about it, but not necessarily live it. What do we call that? Some of you had a name in your head right now. Oh, I know who I call that. But yeah, right? It's like hypocrisy. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not calling you to play church i'm not even calling you to do something on the outside i'm calling you to deal with it on the inside because reconciliation is important if you're reconciled to me you're not just going to be an outward person you're going to be an inward person an outward expression of worship or faith with a hard heart on the inside Jesus is like, I don't want that. So you can repent, you can be reconciled to him, or you can keep playing games. He wants compassionate, merciful, loving hearts. Because he's been that to us. But you and I live in a culture of cancellation. Not always, there's lots of people that deal with their stuff. But a lot of us cancel, ignore, ghost, ghost. Ghosting, right, if you don't know what that is, you just don't communicate at all. Well, I didn't ignore him. I just didn't talk to him at all. I don't have a lot of hair left. That'll make me pull out the rest. That is ignoring. What about leaving? It'd just be better if I didn't say anything at all. My mom said, if I don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Start working on something nice to say. Give your anger over to the one that can handle it. Cast all your anxieties on him. Bring to him your pain, your agony, your frustration because reconciliation is important. I got more on that in a bit as well, but I have a question that maybe some of you are asking. What if Others don't want reconciliation. And I heard the whole Matthew thing, and I don't want to pretend Matthew 5 is good. Jesus is bringing the truth. I don't want to go to church and pretend, so I literally stopped at church, and I went and called my friend, and they ghosted me. Or I've tried all week, all month, all decade, most of my life to try to reconcile them. they don't want it. I've tried, what do I do? Romans 12 has something for us in that. Romans 12, and we're gonna go 18 through 21. The whole chapter is fire. It will get after some areas of your life that you need to have gotten after, but you may not necessarily equate it to the whole anger thing. Reconciliation, being at peace, being at one, right? Unity with people. But what if people don't want it? Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, some of you hear that, and like Tony Evans says, you hear, look, be patient for as long as you can, but when you run out of patience, let them have it. Just, it's time to throw down. Please listen. As far as it depends on you, like, do what you can. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God. And God does get mad. And his anger is righteous and always well-placed. Never abusive. Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now we're talking. <laughs> Saying like, look. They're going to be convicted. What they do with it, though, isn't up to you. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. On your side of the relationship, live at peace with people. Reconciliation is important. Staying angry at somebody will mean you do not reconcile with them as far as it depends on you. Well, I tried. How many times? Doesn't really matter, I tried. Is the bridge still intact on your side? Or are you building a wall? Good luck getting through. Or maybe you take those bricks and you build a bridge or at least your portion of the bridge. Let's go back to what Jesus had to say in Matthew five. So we got 21 through 24 he's like look don't insult people don't yell at them don't hang on to your anger that's murder it's like look don't pretend if there's people that have stuff against you go and deal with that with them as much as possible as much as possible for you and not like if i can't stand anything i can't stand anymore not that but you go and you try and you open the door And you ask God not only for help, but you ask him for the will to even want to do that. Finally, Jesus kind of ties this all together in a way that is really remarkable. And I know I commented on it last week a little bit. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. This is just weird. You're going with your accuser to court. Generally, you show up in different cars for that. But do that quickly, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. So anger can lead to serious consequences. This took, like, jail time. Murder and reconciliation is important. How about Jesus saying, look, your anger towards others can harm you. I'm just going to tell a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18 about this. It's really profound. Not a lot of time to unpack it, nor do I really think we need to. But check this out. Peter, like his like prized pupil, so to speak, who always seemed to step in every pile they possibly could. He comes up to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? A quick little thought on this. The Pharisees, the most religious people, the most righteous, self-righteous, to be sure, but they followed the rules really, really closely, but their hearts were far from That's why God would say to them, hey, don't just sacrifice. Be merciful. Like you've been reconciled to me. Help others reconcile. But they were really, really, really professional holy guys. They would say three times you would forgive somebody. But the fourth time, it's over. We have a saying. Fool me once. Want to finish it for me? (inaudible) Fool me twice. (inaudible) Like you don't get me twice. The Pharisees said three Peter's like, let's double that and add one spiritual number of perfection. I'm a Jew. I got this down. Jesus, seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Some of you, that's what you're going to hear. All right. 77 times, but on the 78th time, it's over. Or you go 70 times 7 is 490. And time, done. And you got a little tally mark on the wall, right? Or in your Bible, which would be a weird place for you to mark your sin. Anyways, here we go. Verse 23. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten 1,000 talents, you and me may look at that and go, what? I tried to do a little math, John, this should be interesting. If you're a laborer and you get paid $40,000 a year, this was a talent was 20 years of income. One talent was 20 years of income times 10,000 of those. At $40,000 a year, My sketchy math came up with $8 billion that this guy owed. And since he could not pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The payment would be all of their lives because they never could make up $8 billion. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. No, you won't, but he's begging, please help me, be merciful, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Some of you are like me, you're wondering, what kind of fool would be $8 billion in debt to his boss? How did that even happen? I don't know. It's a pretty good story, but I don't know. But when that same servant went out from where he had just been forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Another quick little math thing, at 1923 an hour times 8 hours, that would be $153 a day, times 100, you got $15,300 he owed him compared to the $8 billion he had just been forgiven. You owe me $15,300, which sounds like a lot of money until you compare it to $8 billion. So he finds him, and he seizes him, and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you. Should sound familiar. He just rehearsed that speech and delivered it previous. But he refused, and he went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when this fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? I'm stopping and making a big deal out of this because you've been forgiven a lot. The one who could be so angry with you that he sends you to hell decided I'm going to pay for you should you and I not be merciful and kind and compassionate and forgiving with others. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Remember, that was impossible, so he dies in prison. So also my heavenly father, Jesus says, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, the 70 times 7 or the 490 or whatever we might think is not the point of the story. What's the point? Anybody have a takeaway from this one? Forgive when you feel like it. Oh, as you've been forgiven. Oh, man, that's what I love about church. They tell us to do impossible things and then say, God bless you, have a good day. (laughs) Yep, God bless you. Have a good day. (laughs) Like, we as Christians know that we've been forgiven more than people know. But not more than what God knows. And he willingly did so. While we were yet sinners, as we were reminded by Patrick. Ephesians 4.32, and it'll be on the screen, and I'll try to remember it from memory. Be kind and compassionate or tenderhearted towards one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So we learn three things here. Anger can lead to serious consequences. Reconciliation is important to God, and I didn't even get into 2 Corinthians where he calls us to the ministry of reconciliation once we've been reconciled. And anger towards others can harm you. You remember what unforgiveness is? Swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. You guys, this is not easy. You desperately need Jesus. And Jesus said, if you're angry and you hang on to it, you're murdering people in your mind and in your heart. You're separating yourself from God. You're playing church by going to be at church, going to be a Bible study, going to your quiet time praying for all kinds of things for yourself but not for others (laughs) you've forgotten what's been done to you and for you and how you've been paid for and you're in good company because every human being has been like this so how in the world do we move towards jesus let's stay in what jesus said just very quickly go back to matthew 5 verse 6 These are called the Beatitudes. This is what it means to be happy, to be blessed. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Dear friend, it does not say vengeance. It doesn't say for the justice that you're looking for. All those things are covered in Jesus' righteousness, his right way. So hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You'll be fulfilled. Not when you get vengeance. Not when you get your comeuppance, I don't know, they get it at your hand. But when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. And then finally, Jesus said in Matthew six thirty-three: Seek first the kingdom of God. And here goes that word again, his righteousness, his right way. And all these things will be added to you. What does it mean to forgive somebody that doesn't want to be forgiven? You give them over to the Lord. Look, it's, it's on you now. I mean, I've done all that I can. If you want to come and talk to me, I'll try it again. But I do feel a little bit wounded. I feel a little bit caught off guard that you are going to come and say the same argument over and over again. But maybe, just maybe, their heart will change. And you're willing because you've been forgiven so many times. By so many. Much more perfect a forgiver. And so we say, look, I forgive you. Or take a big breath because this one's going to be serious. (sighs) Will you forgive me? That you don't make yourself look better than you really are? Because we all feel like we're way better than we are. Remember that prayer? Dear God, make me the person my dog thinks I am. (laughs) So how do we move towards Jesus? I got three words for you. Surrender, confession, forgiveness. How do we be more like him in how we deal with our anger? We seek first his kingdom, not his rule following or the rules that he gave us, But his kingdom, and his kingdom is this kingdom of love and forgiveness and kindness. Yes, it's truth, holiness, justice. We've got to let him be the one that determines all of those things. Look, I don't seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. That's self-righteousness. I seek first his, and I need help for that. Look, in this very room, in this very heart in this room, my own life, there are people that are frustrated with me, angry with me. I can say by God's grace, I've done the things that I need to do. Some of them aren't ready for that. And it breaks my heart. I'm not pretending. I'm not faking. I'm really brokenhearted over it. And I'm available if that happens again. And every now and then, maybe a text. Hey. Still love you. Can we work through this? Ghost. Or... Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I don't trust you. Cool, let's find somebody you trust, and we could all three get together. Or six of us, or seven, whoever many it is. And keep trying. But it's just so exhausting. I know. Death has a way of being exhausting. Very exhausting. But because we've been so loved, and we've been so forgiven, and we've been so invited into this ministry of reconciliation, we keep trying. Do you know what following Jesus is? Life forever and a daily death sentence. I'll say it again for the people in the back. Following Jesus is life forever and a daily death sentence. We get to die to ourselves. And so how do you move towards him? You confess that he's the king. And that you're not. You surrender your feelings of indignation, anger, and all that. Look, I'm allowed to be angry, but I'm supposed to not sin and hang on to it, so I have to give that over. I'm surrendering that. And then you forgive. You forgive others. You deal with the anger that you might even have towards God because he didn't do it the way you thought he should. Here's a little just quick note. There is a king, and we're not him. So we get to follow him, and we get to keep surrendering. And then we sang it, His kindness leads us to repentance. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how all this lands. I know that sometimes people just come to church and they hear, you're bad, quit sucking, do something different. But God, I pray that today by your Holy Spirit, they might hear all that, but then they hear what the something different is. The receiving forgiveness and being merciful to others who need it. Maybe not holding everybody's stuff against them, but instead just saying, Look, I've been forgiven. So I'm not going to stay offended. I'm going to forgive. We don't need to lie, and we shouldn't lie, and we should be honest when things hurt us, Lord, but the reality is we need to know that we are not the final judge. You are. And we would trust you in that. We believe you, and we'd have the want to to do it. Gotta love you and thank you, and thank you so much for this time together. I pray that we would be strong, that we would be courageous, that we would be contagious. We wouldn't keep the good news to ourselves, including to people that we just hope some bad news on. May we repent of that. May we be forgiven, and may we forgive. Gotta pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.